<laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, are we getting ready? Are you rolling tape? Boy, that's an antiquated phrase, huh? Are you, I don't know, are you rolling digital? <laughs> I don't even know what the term is. Doesn't matter as long as the on button is on, right? As long as the play button hits, I, I, it's all the same. Whether it's tape or digital, whatever the phrase is, usually on means it's it's universal, right? Okay. <laughs> all right, Reg, you ready to go? Let's do this thing. Episode three twenty two. Put it in the books. I'll give you the uh, the three S's and the countdown. You give me the music, and I'll give you episode three twenty two. Sounds like a deal, right? Want to shake on it? No, I don't mean shaking your body or shaking your booty as KC and the Sunshine Band made popular in the 70s. No, okay, we ready? Here we go. Star, smile, strong. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Of course we're there. Where would we be? But uh, it's not enough just for you to listen. Get out there and spread the word. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. And, you know, it is Christmas in July, right? You never know what might be popping up in your Christmas in July stocking. If you like what you hear, don't forget, go to WGNRadio.com, hit the prompt for the podcast, and then go in there and hit the prompt for this podcast, and my God, what a bounty of podcasts you will find in there. <laughs> Going all the way back, in theory, I hope, unless we haven't used up all of our digital storage, podcast going all the way back to May of 2016. Wow. Is that possible? At last count, there are 321 sitting in there just waiting for you to listen to. So welcome to episode 322. I always like to to share with you some cool experiences that I have. Sometimes we talk about the issues of the day. Many times we speak of the minutia of the day. (laughs) But whatever it is, we're always talking. And we're always, hopefully, relating and communicating with you, the podcast listener. As I've said on many occasions, uh, my goal here for the podcast is to create a dialogue uh, on two levels. A, a dialogue with a hopefully huge communal online universe, as well as you, just you, the person who is listening 
in their headphones or on their computer or on their device or however you are listening just with you. That's my goal is to split that, split that atom, if you will, to hopefully speak on a large, large level, but at the same time make it personal enough and relatable enough that it, it's just you and me. And um, so, uh, in the in in the the mix of talking about some big issues that affect everybody, as well as some of the quirky little minutia issues that come up uh, in my either day to day life or in my in my little scattered brain, um, I also just like to uh, share with you some interesting things that happened to me along the way. It's always fun. It's like my only, like my version of uh, of home movies, if you will. Only they're audio home movies. Hopefully, they're a little less boring. <laughs> Isn't it true though that really now with uh, with TikTok and with Facebook and all these things, hasn't hasn't the world really become just one big home movie? I mean, think about it. Isn't that isn't that really where we're at right now? For the most part, all this all this content in quotes that uh, that were that is being supplied on all these multi platforms, these multi digital platforms. Everybody's so worried about filling and 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 um, and having access to and being open to platforms. Platforms. Have you heard the word? I mean, could you ever did you ever think that that word was going to be so? pervasive in our society platforms everybody's got a platform used to be a a stage (laughs) now it, it is a stage for the whole world but really if you think about it think about what's on so many of these social media platforms like tiktok and and facebook and instagram it's it's basically home movies right think about a great deal of what is now passing for entertainment in the forms of, I mean, they've given it a nice little shiny new name, right? Reality television, reality shows, but isn't reality just what's happening? Isn't a reality show basically just a glorified home movie? And in the past, the reputation of watching a home movie was was a punishment. Oh no. Uncle Sam is bringing out his home movies from his trip to the Wisconsin Dells. Oh no. Oh no. Grandpa's bringing out his home movies from when he went fishing. Oh no. <laughs> the Johnsons are showing home movies of their vacation to greece oh i mean you used to dread the home movie it was the equivalent of uh of either watching paint dry or hearing nails on a chalkboard that was that was the the type of anticipation you had if somebody mentioned that they had or wanted to show you their home movies and yet here we are in the 21st century more than two decades into the 21st century, and our major form of entertainment, for the most part, that most people watch, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't have figures, facts, and figures on this, but based on what you, when, when you're just talking to people, 
They they're not talking about television shows. They're not talking about hey, did you see The Sopranos or did you see Handmaid's Tale or did you see this or that? No, they're they're talking about did you see that that video on TikTok? Did you see that video on Facebook? Did you see that video on Instagram? Did you see that clip? Everything is 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 diced and sliced and minced, but it's basically glorified home movies. That's what's that's what's not only passing for entertainment, that's what's being rewarded as entertainment. Real Housewives and and uh, you know, Survivor and Below Deck. <laughs> Did you ever see that one? About the people on yachts? Uh it's all it's it's it, you know I, I mean, I, I would laugh at, and now it it seems press, prescient. Um, you know, back in the 90s, or the late now, Bob Saget used to host America's favorite home videos. Hated that show. It was just basically fathers getting hit in the in the crotch with a ball that their son threw at them. It was most, you know, or some, or some, you know, some accident that, uh, that, it, that it involved some kind of pain, and finally they sort of, moved away from that because there was like, you know, we're, we're basically reveling in other people's um, tragedies or disasters. So then when they did, then they tried to find ones that weren't as uh, potentially fearful. I mean, a lot of times when that show first started, they would show people falling off of things, I mean, babies in high chairs. It's like, slow down here, folks. Because if you're going to reward that, then people are going to keep doing that on purpose and really injuring people. So then they tried to... To, uh, to 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 streamline it a little, uh, and then they would only if if it involved any kind of pain <laughs> or injury or accident, then they they kind of um, you know found a a, a a an acceptable category. And for some reason, and I don't know if it was women that were uh, that were that were choosing this, but for some reason. The, the 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 painful the acceptable painful videos on America's home videos were when the when the dad got hit in the crotch with the wiffle ball. That's that somehow uh, was acceptably funny. Uh, well, I have I have news for you, folks, and I just and the only reason I mentioned that maybe women chose those and they thought that was acceptable because they don't know what that pain is like. Oh. Believe me, talk you're talking to somebody who used to be a catcher. Playing baseball, uh, and not in softball, not in sixteen inch, in 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 league ball, hardball, wearing the tools of ignorance. Believe me, uh, my fate, my, my 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 most prized possession when I played baseball for many many years as a catcher was my my cup, my safety cup, <laughs> covering that region. Uh, you are right in the in the in the in 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 the battleground there, folks. You are in the dangerous territory. You got a guy on the mound throwing eighty, ninety miles an hour this projectile, and you've got somebody right in front of you, inches in front of you, literally, not even maybe a foot in front of you, just enough. They're 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 in front of you just enough so when they swing a bat, they won't hit you. You're that close. And you can you can you can feel and hear the bat swinging. I don't know if you know a lot of people have never been in that situation, but when you're a catcher, uh, that's that's you're in you're in the danger zone, folks, on every pitch. And I'm not trying to exaggerate things; I'm just telling you the realities of it. So you've got this guy only sixty feet away who's throwing this 
this this this hard round projectile at you at, at a target that you are actually <laughs> voluntarily setting up for him and then you've got a guy it may be a foot in front of you sometimes and i i wonder i really have to wonder how close i, I bet you it's even uh, closer than a foot maybe it's a foot away who's right in front of you who's got uh you know a bat an aluminum or a wooden bat right in front of you and he's swinging at this projectile and um if he hits it solidly it will go forward but many times he does not hit it or she does not hit it solidly and will foul it off as we say will not get the the full uh, contact of the bat on the ball and then it will it will ricochet off that and guess where it's going right back at the catcher first line of defense yes there's an umpire but the umpire standing the umpire is a smart one he's standing behind the catcher just peeking his head out over his shoulder but uh the catcher there's no you know you've got these as they they call them the tools of ignorance basically because you've got to be ignorant and without a lot of knowledge to to put yourself in that position that's why they're called the tools of ignorance you ever you ever know why that the tools of ignorance are the the catcher's equipment the catcher's mask, the catcher's, um, you know, chest protector, and his shin guards. Those are the the tools of ignorance. They call them because you've got to be, in theory or in reality, you've got to be pretty uneducated or at least un not uneducated in an informal education, but uh, you know, uh, not educated with facts to want to stand right behind a guy with a bat who's swinging it purposely and who's swinging at this ball coming at you so believe me uh the protective cup if you will uh is if you're a catcher is your best friend and uh, you know as much as the catcher's protection does offer some you know the catcher's equipment does offer some protection there are enough your body is still exposed and, and catchers today uh certainly have a lot more um, equipment that covers more of the exposed skin than than I did back thirty years ago or so, but I it's but that ball still finds a way. It still finds a way. I don't care unless you are wearing a a steel suit of armor. That ball will find a way to get flesh, and that flesh is usually in a very sensitive area. So um, I don't know on America's Home Videos why it was always acceptably funny to see when the kid either hit the wiffle ball or threw the wiffle ball uh, in his father's direction, and it hit the father in the crotch, and the father naturally falls straight back like a ton of bricks. Um, why that became acceptably painful, where we could show that one, and, and we laughed at that, and they would always cut to the, if you remember. And I know I know America's Home Videos is still on. I think, um, what's his name from... Uh, uh, from Fresh Prince is, is the host of it now. But I, I never watched even Bob Saget, you know, 25, 30 years ago. I never watched it, never found uh, any interest in it because basically, as I said before, it was watching home movies. And that's really not fun. At least it wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, if you remember watching, and I, I'm sure they haven't changed the formula, it's still on the Erica's home videos. 
Uh, they would always show the video, and then they would do it this quick cut to an audience member laughing uproariously at the video they just saw. And as I said many times, uh, it was the father getting hit in the crotch with the wiffle ball. <laughs> Take it from someone who's been there, and it's, and it's not just a wiffle ball, but it just goes to show you how sensitive that area is. All it takes is a wiffle ball, and you go down like a sack of potatoes. And as I said to you about it being a catcher in baseball, all right, now elevate that with uh, this projectile coming at you at 100 miles an hour and then it also being tapped and tipped by a bat, which gives a little extra oomph. And then the first line of defense is you standing right there. And I don't know how that ball knows it. It will not hit you in the chest. It will not hit you in the arm. It will not hit you in the knee. It will not hit you in the upper knee. It will go right where it shouldn't. Ouch. Wow. Yeah, that is smarts, folks. But on America's Home Videos, that's funny. That Now, that's entertainment. <laughs> but, yeah, we have, um, we have come to accept glorified home movies now as entertainment, as newsworthy entertainment. The TV news, uh, this, this video is going viral of a man who is balancing, uh, you know, a... A worm on his nose. I, I don't know. That's <laughs> all these talented writers and artists who are racking their brains trying to come up with something unique and original and, and individual and groundbreaking. And they are toiling away in obscurity while... Man-balancing worm on nose becomes a viral video that 20 million people watch around the world. And meanwhile, there's a, there's a painter, starving artists, who are racking their brains trying to, to express themselves in an artistic, original way. And they can't, they can't get three views but Man with Milk Coming Out of His Nostrils is an international hit on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If there are history books written 100 years from now, I don't know what's going to happen to this place, to this world in the next 100 years. I hope it's still around. If there are history books, my gosh, the, 20, the late 20th century and the 21st century, at least the earliest, the early 21st century, uh, the historians, I think, are not, are rightfully so, are not going to be very kind to this era that we are living in right now. You may think life is really great, and uh, and certainly we all do, because this is where we're at. But my gosh, when you start to look at what we're what, what we're doing, oh man, culturally, oh my gosh, <sighs> home movies. Well, I got on the, once again, <laughs> let me look at my script here. Wink, wink. Let me look at my script here. Oh, yeah. Oh, it does say go off onto a tangent on home movies. Oh, good. I did that then. <laughs> I did not expect to go off on a little um, detour on home movies, but what I was talking about was I like to share. Wow. Think about how I got from, from, from that A to that B. I was talking about how I like to share personal experiences with you on this podcast to make it relatable. 
And from that, I went on a little rant about home, a little history and rant on home movies. And even got into getting hit in the crotch with a league ball. I swear, I'm looking at my... Oh, well, you know what? I'm looking at my script. Yes, it is. It says, talk about getting hit in the crotch with a league ball. I didn't... Okay, I'm I'm following the script. (laughs) That's why you listen to this podcast, folks. You never know where it's going to go. But it always gets back. I I may take many detours, but I, I find myself back on the main road. It's always fun to take the road less traveled as... Robert Frost told us, but it's always nice to get back on the, the highway because you want to get somewhere. And so uh, let me get, I'm, 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 I'm hitting my, 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 uh, my turn signal. I'm getting back on the main road. We were, we were off in a, a little dirt road there for a while, but we're back, back on, the main, on the main road. So I like to share, in addition to talking about big problems, in addition to talking about some minutia, in, in addition to talking about some little odd observations that that happened to me or that I observe in, uh, in my day-to-day life. I also like to pass along and share some, uh, some neat experience that happens every once in a while. And that, that, help, that always helps to make our lives a little interesting, right? Have a cool and unexpected experience happen. And uh, once again, we are in a, in a society today, in a culture today, what, whatever happens to you, you have to share it, right? Share. It's, it's all there. It's on, our, you know, it's on every social media page there's a prompt to share it's on your on your smartphone share oh my goodness that's all we do is share there was a time when people were actually stingy you were you had to be told to share share that with your brother and sister now come on you've got some share with others there was a time when we did not want to share can you believe that Wow, talk about how times have changed. Yeah, there was a time when I was a little kid that we had to be told to share. Now, my gosh, people wake up. What am I going to share? People are taking pictures of themselves naked in their underwear. What? What? They, they, they can't think of anything else. What else can I share? Well, I guess I'll stand in front of my mirror and share a picture of myself in my underwear. Share, share, share. We're sharing everything, things that we shouldn't be sharing. And you know, fifty years ago, we had to be, we had to be admonished. We had to be told to now share that. Now, that's not right. Don't keep that all to yourself. We actually used to keep things to ourselves. But in this look at me culture that we are right now, my gosh, we are not only sharing; we are sharing way too much. But here I am complaining about it, and yet here I am sharing. Right? What's a, what this? What's this podcast all about? It's another platform to share. You see how I circled back to platform too, folks? I'm telling you, this, this may sound... <laughs> this may sound like it's, uh, it's all off the cuff, but it is, uh, you know... The, my, my writing staff of 20 people on a daily basis, you know, the, 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 the complexity... I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm delivering this in a very casual off the cuff way. But uh, if you saw the, uh, the process and that uh, goes behind this broadcast with, with this, this huge, huge stable of writers that we have and, you know, putting all this together, making it sound, uh, 
you know, that's my job to make it sound very real and very, um, you know, casual. But oh my gosh, all the, I mean, you think the script, when I, I, I mentioned the script, you should see how complex this script is. It, it, it goes through many drafts and, uh, we all, you know, it's, it's, it's as complicated and, and as complex as a, uh, you know, as an episode of Breaking Bad. I mean, there are so many different roads and dotted lines and, and, and callbacks, you know, something I talked about at the beginning and tying it back. Oh, you think this happens just, you think this all just happens in my head? Come on. Impossible. Oh. The well-oiled machine of professionals that I have behind the scenes here writing all this and connecting all those dots, coming up with the dots, and then connecting them all and making this, this, this coherent and cogent podcast every week. Oh, what, what, what an operation we've got going here. But once again, that's, that's behind the scenes. It may sound like it's just me and producer Reggie here uh, doing this off the cuff for an hour every week. And that's the perception that I, I want to, uh, uh, you know, want to present. But oh my gosh, the operation we have here is uh, is, is quite impressive, quite impressive. But yeah, like I said, see, so I, I, I it may have sounded like I casually mentioned the word platform, right, and went off on this little thing about platforms. And here I was, twenty minutes later, referring back to platforms again. Coincidence? That's for you to decide. <laughs> anyway so like i said what i like to try to do on this podcast is uh is also share some cool experiences so i was talking uh last week last podcast 321 about um having recently traveled to the uk the united kingdom and 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 i was talking about how while we were there the horrific highland park shooting on fourth of july happened and and how it, that may have happened here in the Chicago area in the United States, but it was front page news. It was lead story news in London on the BBC. And I was trying to make a point that we need to realize that not only is this news spreading and, and disappointing and chilling those of us here in this country, but it's also having an impact on our reputation worldwide. And we need to think about that, but that's heavy stuff. That was last week. Now I'd like to talk about something cool that happened on the vacation. Yeah, the usual stuff. This is, <laughs> once again, uh, this is my verbal version of home movies. Oh, no. Jim's going to show his home movies from London. Oh, God. <laughs> well, these are verbal home movies, if you will. But something kind of cool happened to me on two nights in a row, which is very cool. And, and, not, and, not, uh, and not all that... Uh, common so i thought i would share it with you so one of the reasons one of the motivating reasons that we went to london not only do i i love london probably one of my favorite if not my favorite place to be in the world and i've traveled quite a few places but there's just something about london i don't know it's the culture it's the history it's the tradition it's everything it's the vibe it's the people uh it's not the food that 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 goes to italy uh yeah british food still i love british food i love shepherd's pie and fish and chips but uh you know it's not known for its food but yeah i just uh, i've i've just always felt at home in london but uh, so i i love going there and i've been there many many times over the last 30 years but a motivating factor just to go there cuz it's been almost what 7 years since the last time we went 
uh, two or three of those impacted by COVID uh, was, of course, I mean, hey, you're listening to a guy whose nickname is Elton Jim, correct? You're listening to a guy who on this podcast that the name of this podcast, if many people don't know this, and, and maybe you do, it might be subtle. Some people get it. Some people don't. That's that's the way I like it. If you if you get it, great. If you don't, no, no harm done. But for those of you who get it, I, I I give you a little nod, and you give me a nod back, and we sort of we get the joke. But uh, not only is my nickname Elton Jim, but but Captain you know Captain Podtastic is an Elton John reference. I don't know if a lot of people you know that or not. Um, Elton John, at least my favorite Elton John album, is called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And so that's when I was putting out a, when I was creating this podcast six years ago, I said, well, I'm going to play on that Elton Jim persona because it was popular enough on the radio that people know me as Elton Jim. So I continue, I thought I would continue that moniker, Elton Jim. And so if I'm going to be Elton Jim, then I'm, I might as well have some kind of a subtle reference to Elton John on the podcast name, right? Even though this is, if you've been listening, I mean, I, I talk about Elton sometimes, but this is not a a an Elton John podcast. I mean, I don't every week don't talk about Elton John albums or music or, or whatever. I mean, that some people may think that's what it is. There's a, some there's some people who have podcasts that are just on one singular uh, topic, but I just felt like if I'm going to be Elton Jim, that's my my nickname. I might as well do something kind of subtle, but still pay homage to Elton. So that's where I came up with. Instead of Captain Fantastic, Captain Podtastic. And I thought, I think that sounds kind of neat. I like the way it sounds. If you look at the logo that's created for the podcast, uh, that's usually on the, um, you know, when you go to download it, you'll see that that logo up there. Uh, that is reminiscent of the font and the artistic layout of the Captain fantastic in the brown dirt cowboy album if you go if you if you go online go online or if you have it in your record collection i hope you do get get the cover of captain fantastic in the brown dirt cowboy and you'll see that that my logo of captain podtastic is similar to that and in fact you know my little tagline is from the end of the world to your screen and the lyric of the song Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, and in fact, even on the album, it says from the end of the world to your town. So once again, a little play off on that, from the end of the world to your town. Mine is from the end of the world to your screen because that's where you probably find your podcast, whether you're online or whether you're on your smartphone, there's a screen involved. So from the end of the from the end of the web, Instead of the end of the world to your town, from the end of the web to your screen, because you are downloading this podcast on the web. So little touches, but also making it relevant. So I didn't know if you knew that or not. I thought I would pass it on. There's there's the great secret. For those of you who didn't get it, there it is. Those of you who got it all the time, eh, I'm giving you a nod. I'm giving you a little wink. In fact, even the little music that I play at the end when I'm saying thank you and, uh, you know, signing off, that that music 
that instrumental is uh, from a song called The Captain and the Kid, which was a sequel to the album Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And The Captain and the Kid is, once again, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, just an extension of, of the, the first album. So it all ties together, folks. Once again, big operation putting all these subtle things together. Oh, if you saw, if you saw the, 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 the nerve center that I've got of people working here, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so anyway, yes, um, one of the motivating factors of, of us going to London, too, was that Elton John was performing uh, outside of London in a city, a small town, called Watford, W-A-T-F-O-R-D, Watford, on, in the north of, of uh, just north of London. And it's near where Elton John was born and raised in a small town right near Watford called Pinner, P-I-N-N-E-R. And when Elton was a young boy, he and his father would support the Watford Hornets football club, or as we say in the United States, soccer. You know, football, soccer is huge in in the UK and around the world here, certainly getting much more popular in the United States than it ever was, but uh, it's still there. It's a religion. It's a way of life. And uh, and there were many, and still are, many local in the town, you know, in your town, uh, football clubs. It's not like, you know, we have here in the United States, like it's the Chicago Cubs or the Chicago Bears where there's one team, um, you know, for the whole city and the surrounding cities. You would it would be similar that like uh, almost every suburb, like right here in Chicago, we have the Chicago Fire Football Club, right, and that entails you know it's got Chicago as as the the main name, but Rob, obviously there's 11 million people in the Chicagoland area here, including all the suburbs around, and they identify with and support the Chicago Fire, or as I said, in any kind of sporting team, whether it's hockey with the Blackhawks or baseball with the Cubs or the, or the White Sox, uh, the, the, the main city, the large city, represents the, the big region. So even people in the suburbs identify with and support that one main team that may have the designation of the large city, but it doesn't preclude people from Arlington Heights or Homewood Flossmoor or Skokie or Hoffman Estates or Buffalo Grove or ever, you know, Waukegan to identify with the Cubs or the Sox. But in especially the UK and around Europe, especially in the UK since soccer is such a, a within the lifeblood of, of the country, each one of those individual cities, or many of those individual cities, had soccer clubs. So soccer was very local. It wasn't kind of uh, neutralized into one, like a major city, like the London Blanks. It was all these other, and that, that happens. I mean, there's major, like Manchester, there's major cities have soccer teams, yes, but then also smaller cities and towns would have soccer teams as well and so here's this small kind of working class uh town of watford about uh, 20 miles outside of london and it's very similar to like wrigley field or fenway park you're walking down this small little road of these very small little houses in a in a very quiet 
you know, usual working class neighborhood and you turn left and suddenly, whoa, there's a 35,000 seat soccer stadium. <laughs> it's just like Wrigley Field or Fenway. Like, wow, where did that come from? I'm walking in this quiet little, little, uh, you know, subdivision, not even a subdivision, a little town itself is as big as a subdivision. Watford is a very small little town. And I'm just walking, and there's, you know, there's Floyd's Barbershop and the flower store and the candy store and, and things like that. And you make a right turn, and whoa, in the middle of a, somebody's living there just like across the street, just like they do with the, uh, you know, those two flats and those apartment buildings outside of Wrigley Field. It's just like that. Whoa, there's, there's Vicarage Road. That's the, that's the street. And that's the name of the of the of the stadium that the Watford Hornets play at, Vicarage Road. And uh, there it is, boom. And uh, Elton has played at that stadium a few times in his career. As I said, when he was a little kid, about six years old, he started going to watch Watford play soccer, and that was his team. Just like we grow up, and and everybody grows up. If you're a baseball fan or a football fan, you know you grow up. Whatever your whatever your father, if you're a sports fan, whatever your your father, at least when you're a little boy, would your father follow this team? Then he passed that on to you. So, you know these families have these Cub traditions and these Bears traditions or these Sox traditions uh, for generations upon generations, and that's the way it was and is with soccer uh, in the UK. So uh, Elton, at a at a young age, six years old, started going to watch the Watford Hornets play at Vicarage Road Stadium. And as fate would have it, um, you know, he would go on to not only become the Watford Hornets' most famous fan in the world, but uh, there was a time when he owned the team in the late 70s and uh, in 80s, and he was the chairman of the team, and he was a very active chairman. It wasn't just that he owned this team and threw money at it and was was kind of a figurehead. He was very involved in making that team the best that it could be. And uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, when his career had waned a little and he wanted to get step away from the spotlight because he had such tremendous fame in the, in the early and mid-70s, he needed to get away, uh, he, he used the Watford hornets as a as a haven to escape the spotlight and he he used it as a as a as a as a place for him to to be able to get out of the rat race of the music world and and concentrate and he loves sports all sports and so he got very involved in the in the inner workings of the team he brought along one of the best coaches in soccer in the UK to 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 coach this Watford team which is a very small team in comparison with some of the bigger uh, cities uh, in the UK, but he lured uh, this coach named Graham Taylor to come and 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 coach the team in the late seventies, and ultimately, uh, they they the the team, you know, once again, small working class town, it didn't have the advantages of 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 the the monetary ability to spend on players and the facility. When Elton came, he did invest a lot of money. Uh, to to upgrade the stadium itself, the Vicarage Road Stadium, and then upgrade and make the team competitive from the from the last division, is the way they have it there, into the Premier First Division. So much so that within five or six years of his involvement in 1984, the team went to the finals. I mean, this is a small little 
soccer team. As I said, it's not from Madrid. It's not from Manchester uh, or some of these other bigger cities like Liverpool and all the you hear about some of these these big soccer teams. It was from Watford. Believe me. Maybe 10, 15,000 people in it. Small, small working class town. But he he got very involved and he spent his money and he and he hired wisely and got good players and he got this great coach. And they went to the finals. Unfortunately, in 1984, they, they lost in the finals, but they got there. And the, the fact that the Watford Hornets could even get to that, that level of success was unbelievable. And that is a huge, huge part of, of, Watford, of the Watford Hornets' history is tied to the work that Elton John did. So he wasn't just some rich guy using this as a folly, using this as a tax dodge, using this as uh, you know just some kind of other thing to say I own it. He got very involved. He got his hands dirty uh, because he was such a fan, and 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 he had a very difficult you know childhood. But he, the Watford Hornets, was one way. And his son, desperate for the love of his father to to bond with his dad, was that they would go to soccer matches. And so Watford really pr- uh, represented a lot to him in his entire life as a young child, as a bonding experience for his father, and then as a successful um, outlet as being a, a sports official and owner. And he has done so much for Watford it is, it is such a special place in his heart. He's gone back there and done concerts and donated the money that he's raised from the concerts to the team, done that several times. In 2005 and 2010, he did um, charity concert, benefit concerts for the team. All the proceeds from those concerts went to the team to buy players, to, to upgrade the, the facilities. I wrote the concert programs for both of those uh, special charity concerts in 2005 and 2010, and for the first time in 25, and then in 2010, traveled and went to Watford to watch those concerts there, and it was really cool to go to that stadium that I saw so many pictures of throughout the years and heard Elton talk about so much with so much love and respect and sincerity. Watford, 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 if you're an Elton John fan, you can't help but uh, know what an important part of Elton John's life the Watford Hornets are and uh, so it was very neat to to go to this place that I had seen pictures of and heard Elton talk about with such reverence and actually walk into it um, you know 4,000 miles away from my house when I was a little kid I remember him talking about Watford I didn't even know what the heck it was once again I'd see pictures in a magazine of him dressed up in the Watford Hornets uh, you know kit as they say we call them uniforms. They call them kits, K-I-T's. Um, never thinking in my wildest dreams as a, as a 10 and 11-year-old kid that someday I would be in that exact stadium of seeing those pictures of Elton John in a place that seems so f- a world away when I was a little kid of 9 and 10 and 11 years old and first following Elton John. You know, I mean, London... And England seemed like a world away. And then Watford, who even heard of that? There's still people that don't even know what Watford. Watford right now, actually, is, is, is very well known to some extent. It's, it's gaining uh, some kind of prominence in that Watford is where the Harry Potter studios are. Um, 
If you go on, if you go to London and you want to go to the Harry Potter studio tour, where they filmed a lot of the uh, the Harry Potter films in the actual studio where they worked and did all the costuming and all that, the, you have a tour to that, and it's in Watford. So Watford has actually gained in the last several years some prominence. But before that, it was known pretty much for Elton John going to Watford Hornet <laughs> soccer games, football games. So it was very cool. So when Elton uh, announced about a year or so ago that he was going to play two shows as part of his farewell tour uh, back at Vicarage Road Stadium at Watford, uh, these are the type of, stories of, of concerts that you knew were going to be very special to him, being back in that stadium in a place that he that he was as a little kid and uh, and it, it has become such an, a major part of his life and something that he's worked with and for for so many years in fact they've they've dedicated a section of the of the of the stands to Elton there's a big sign that says the Elton John stand and uh, along the back wall of that portion of the arena at Vicarage Road, they they have the lyrics, the, the the key line to your song. You know, I hope you don't mind to put down in words how wonderful life is while you're in the world. Those are on the back wall of the uh, of the portion of the stadium that is designated as the Elton John Stand, and and so the place has great sentimental and nostalgic value for Elton, and so you knew that that was going to be a very special show for him to be performing those two shows. And so it's like, okay, those are two shows. If you're a fan, you really want to go to and be a part of because you know they're going to be very important and lifetime memories for him. And so that was a motivating factor for us to go there as well. So on July 3rd and 4th, we went to the uh, to the concerts at Watford of Elton John's farewell Yellowbrick Road Tour. And I had my Watford's Horn- Watford Hornets scarf on and the 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 hornet's colors are yellow obviously for you know hornet you know little bee yellow black and red so i had red t-shirt with i always wear black anyway but you know black sweater vest and then i had the yellow red and black uh scarf on as well so i was i was i was representing no doubt about that and very cool thing for these special concerts uh a, a huge mural was was painted on one of the walls just outside of the Elton John stand inside. So when you're walking on the outside, and it's just like, once again, it's just like Wrigley Field. You're literally walking in, in an alleyway, and there's the entrance, there's all these different entrances to the stadium, and then there's someone's house right there. It's 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 really... And and, and for, for people like me who, who went to Wrigley Field as a little kid, uh, that was par for the course. Uh, now there's a quaintness to quaintness, quaintness to it. Uh, and when you went to other stadiums, you realized that, that not every other stadium was like that anymore. You know, most stadium, modern stadiums were were, were built uh, more on the outskirts of town, surrounded by highways, not surrounded by. They started in neighborhoods, but as they got bigger and new stadiums were built, they were they were built in more places outside of the city or surrounded by transportation means highways and and streets and so uh neighborhoods are close but not right across the street like they are at wrigley field and now as i said at the watford stadium 
So that was very cool. This beautiful um, mural was made of Elton, once again, uh, of a picture back from 1974 with him wearing the Watford uniform, the Watford kit, if you will. So he's dressed in the yellow and black, yellow yellow shirt with, with black shorts. And he's, of course, got a pair of uh, glasses on with pink lenses because that's Elton. Uh, but so that was a very cool thing to, and to take a picture of that and stand out there. So it was a really, uh, it was it was fun because, as I said before, Watford, you know, has such a connection. He has such a close connection to it. And so you know it's going to be a special show. And, and the Watford team itself has embraced Elton. He is now a life, even though he is not an owner anymore, um, he is the title of lifetime president, honorary lifetime president. And uh, actually from the stage at the shows, he said that when he is done with this tour in another year or so, that he plans on getting much more involved in Watford and getting his hands dirty again. So I think he really wants to, to, to get involved and, and, and make the team. They've had, they've had some really good seasons over the last couple of years. Last season was very bad. And so he seems dedicated now to, um, to try to get his hands dirty, as he said, and uh, get more involved and see if he can turn that magic that he did in the 80s again. So we'll see. But anyway, so that was the motivating factor of going to those concerts. And they proved to be very special concerts, not only from Elton's standpoint, but from my standpoint. I never expected that. I was there just to experience the specialness of the shows from Elton's perspective. And they turned out to be some really cool memories uh, for me. So I thought I would share those with you. See how it all comes back? That's the operation that we've got here, the writing staff. They, they bring me back. It all comes back somewhere. I may take detours, but I get back on the main highway. So here we are back on the main highway now. And we're still in the speed limit, so don't worry about that. I may go about 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit regularly, but nothing crazy. <laughs> anyway, so um, we get into Watford. I've got my Watford Hornets sweater on, or uh, scarf on. And so we're, we get our tickets, and we're, we're walking, and so we're looking to see where the location is. And so we see where they're at. And they're good seats toward the front. And, um, but there was a lot of people already seated, seated even though it was, was, was early. There was a lot of people seated in our row. And I was like, oh, you know, I, rather than having to go through legs and excuse me, excuse me, why don't we walk to the other side through this empty aisle here, and then we can – get to our seats easier without going through the whole row because there's a lot of people already seated in our row. And this row right behind our row was completely empty. So I said, Let's, this will be easier. So as I'm, we're walking through this row that's empty behind the row that we will eventually sit in, as we're walking down the row, I notice somebody sitting, you know, two people sitting in these seats, and he looks very familiar to me. One of the men looks very familiar to me. And so I'm like, hmm, that looks like a guy named Ray Williams. And uh, in Elton John's history, that's a very pivotal and important name. And if you saw the film Rocket Man, you will remember that name too. Uh, Ray Williams was a young record executive who in 1967 put together Elton John, at that time Reg Dwight, and his lyricist, Bernie Taupin. Uh, He was working for a 
record company called Liberty Records. This is 1967. This is right in the the height now of um, Sgt. Pepper, where rock and roll has, and the Beatles have really taken rock and roll to a new level. And it is now a major, major money-making enterprise. It's it's influencing the culture. And Sgt. Pepper takes the world by storm, so there were record companies looking for new artists. Put out records. Let's make some money. And, of course, there's a bunch of artists out there inspired by the Beatles that were looking to become stars. So it was a perfect storm. So Liberty Records put uh, an ad in uh, one of the leading music magazines in the U.K., in London, New Music Express, NME as it's known, and uh, it says Liberty Records, you know, looking for, you know, musicians and writers and whatever. And so as fate would have it, and that's all you could call this, is pure fate. I mean, unbelievable. The way one of the greatest songwriting teams in history came together, they never should have they never should have met in reality. Talk about Starcross. Just this is fate. This is this is coincidence. This is opportunity. Whatever you want to call it. But it, uh, it talk about right time, right place. So Elton John, who is about twenty years old at the time, uh, you know he's he's trying to uh, to make it. He's playing a lot of sessions, he's, but he's a musician. He's not a lyric writer. Meanwhile, about two and a half hours to the north of London in a small town area called Lincolnshire, there's a 17-year-old quote-unquote poet out in the rural lands filled with, you know, with farmlands. Uh, there's a young supposedly self-described poet named Bertie Taupin who sees this ad in the new Music Express because he's a big music fan and he sends in a batch of his poems and says, I don't write music, but I I am a poet. I can write lyrics and I think these could be put to music. And Elton John goes in and responds to the same ad and says, I'm a musician, but I can't write lyrics. And so Ray Williams, who is receiving all of these submissions from writers and musicians all around the UK responding to this ad, meets Elton, is impressed with his musical ability, hears him play, Elton plays some some songs that he's tried to write, but he can't really write lyrics, and he's proven that, but he certainly can play the piano. There's no question about that. And so he says to Elton kind of casually, well, here's a batch of lyrics from uh, from a guy in Lincolnshire. See what you could do with these. He can't write music, but he can write lyrics. You can't write lyrics, but you can write music. And that fateful, that fateful, move of him giving that envelope to Elton and saying see what you can do with these created Elton John created a 50 some year career a legendary career a legendary persona 
and helped create one of the great songwriting teams of all time. And, you know, it was pure fate. So, uh, and, the, and, and that is, it, there's a little embellishment in the film, but Ray Williams is, is you know, he's shown in the film in the early part. And he was Elton's first manager for several years um, until he was replaced. And, um, but he certainly is the man that, that put those two together. And so I've seen pictures of him now, especially on Facebook now. You know, you see these people. You'd have less chance to to be in contact with them. But I've seen pictures of him and different stories that are written about him over the years. And so I'm like, that's Ray Williams. So as I'm walking behind him, I'm walking in the row. He's sitting in this this row, and I'm walking in the row behind him. But I'm going to be in the same row as he is. But I'm walking behind him right now since there's nobody in that row. I just, I said, like, I have to, I have to at least acknowledge him and, and introduce myself. So he was on his phone, just looking at his phone. And so I, he was, had his head down. And so I was behind him and I stopped and I leaned in and I whispered in his ear and I just said, excuse me, but did you by any chance discover Elton John? <laughs> I thought that'd be a nice little way to get his attention. And he turned and smiled, was a little shocked, uh, turned and smiled and uh, and nodded and said, uh, yes. <laughs> and I said, yes, I know you did because I know who you are. You're Ray Williams. <laughs> and he said, yes, I am. <laughs> and so we exchanged pleasantries and um, and and then a few minutes later, we talked for a while and great. And then I go to the end of this row, I turn right, and I now turn into the row that I'm going to sit in, which is the row that Ray Williams is sitting in. Who knew this, right? And as I look at the seat numbers, I'm sitting right next to Ray Williams, right next to him. So I cannot believe this. And then I'm like, well, I'm back again. And I tried to be, I didn't want to, you know, be one of these kind of crazy fans, but I certainly, he seemed to be open to talking about things. So, and I explained I'm a longtime fan. I've been to over 200 concerts and blah, blah, blah. So he knew that I, what I was talking about. I talked about how I'd written eight concert programs for Elton's tours over the years. So at least he felt that there was, I had a little credibility there. I wasn't just some crazy nutball fan. I at least had a little. <laughs> I mean, I am a crazy nutball fan. Don't get me wrong, but I also have a little credibility as well. <laughs> At least I wasn't scary to him. I tried to be—I tried to put my scary uh, side on on mute for a while and uh, tried to re- 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 restrain my my crazy fan persona. And so then he introduces me to the man sitting next to him who came with him to the concert, and he says, "Well, this is David Larkham." And for me, an Elton John fan. That name sparks an immediate, oh my gosh, because David Larkham was a photographer and an artist, and he designed all the album packages, all the album designs for what could be considered as Elton's greatest period from 1969, his first album, Empty Sky, through Rock of the Westies in 1975. So David Larkham was responsible for designing 
the 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 whole record packages. So when if you have the Elton John album that has your song on it, or if you have Tumbleweed Connection, which has this this rustic kind of motif to to match a lot of the music's uh, rural and um, and Western American Western subject matter, or you have Madman Across the Water with the famous embroidered Madman Madman Across the Water. Uh, cover well david larkham's wife at the time embroidered that that's his wife's embroidery on the front and back that has all the the name titles embroidered and the the title madman across the water his wife embroidered that and then of course the uh the the triple trifold packaging of the double album goodbye yellow brick road he didn't draw the the actual cover illustration that's a by someone else by a man named ian beck but he designed the entire concept of the entire album package in fact he all the little drawings that go with each the little illustrations that go with the lyrics and he, he did some of those illustrations so um and and took the photos of them as well so uh and then designed didn't do the illustration for it, but designed the packaging for, as I said before, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, which is one of my favorite albums that came with a poster and, and, and an illustrated uh, lyric book and a book called Scraps that, that sort of had all this, uh, this archival information about how Elton and Bernie got together, which Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy is all about. Captain Fantastic is Elton John. The Brown Dirt Cowboy is Bernie Taupin. And, and that album tells their story of when they first met in 1967 through the time they made their first album in 1969 of Empty Sky. Those three or four years that they were struggling songwriters. That's what the album tells the story about, how they became. They started as these two young um, you know, songwriters who didn't even know each other, who lived two and a half, three hours apart, and they probably never should have met at all. And somehow were brought together and became Captain Fantastic, Elton John, and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. So that's what the album talks about, those struggling years just before their first album, just before they really started to hit it big. So it's a very nostalgic and sentimental album, and it's really, it, it, some of the songs are very personal, and I think that's why it's Elton's favorite as well. But some about that album, all the songs, the, the everything about it, the musicianship, the production, the lyrics, the music, the songs, Elton's vocal performance. It, it really is, is, as much as Goodbye Elbrick Road is viewed as Elton's opus, um, in terms of a a, 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 a a total package, everything involved about Captain Fantastic is Elton John and his band and his entire organization and everything about Elton John at its highest peak. I believe, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. So I'm talking and sitting next to these two guys who played pivotal roles in the, in, in there, there would be no Elton John without Ray Williams, pure and simple. There may have been a performer named Elton John, but I don't think he would have, re, he would have achieved the heights he did without the lyrics of Bernie Taupin. I think that's a fair, that's a fair uh, statement to make. In fact, Elton John himself on many occasions said there would be no Elton John without Bernie Taupin. Well, that's true. But taking another layer, there would be no Elton John and Bernie Taupin as a team if it weren't for Ray Williams. 
So I'm sitting next to Ray Williams, and I'm sitting next to David Larkham, who was responsible for so many of these great albums that I would go home and look and 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 and, and touch. And there was always heft and importance because these albums just looked so cool. The album covers, Elton John album covers looked so cool. You looked forward to what was the Elton John album going to look like, not just sound like, but what was it going to look like? And that was David Larkham's work too. So I was sitting next to two major figures in the history and development of Elton John. They were friends of his early on. Uh, David Larkham and Ray Williams were both with Elton in the whole entourage that traveled from London to the United States in 1970 when Elton played his his concerts at the Troubadour Club in L.A., which basically were responsible for him becoming a star literally overnight. He blew he blew the critics away. He blew audiences away in 1970 in August of uh, at the Troubadour. And David Larkham and Ray Williams were with Elton came with him from London for this pivotal, important part of his career. So they were there at ground zero, and they were responsible for, Ray Williams certainly was, and David Larkin, for some of the most important aspects of Elton's career. So it was it was quite a thrill to sit with them and watch them watch Elton because and they don't really have as much um, you know contact with him anymore. They still kind of call him Reg sometimes. Uh, because Elton has is risen in such a, a, a form of fame, but they know him, and they knew him, and so they were at the small gigs, and they were on the buses, and they were there when this was all starting. and And there was a point where Elton was playing "Candle in the Wind," and and Ray Williams turned to him and he said, "Wow, this is I'm I'm getting I'm getting chills. I'm getting goosebumps. This is really really special." And I, while Elton was singing. And we were, he was right in front of us. And I said, um, turn around, because we were toward the front, and look at these 40,000 people in this stadium. And look at all these people here. And I said, uh, turn around. You see all that? All these people? And you see that up there on that stage there? You did this. You did this. This would not be happening right now if it was not for what you did and your work, and your insight, and you handing that envelope to Reg Dwight and said, see what you can do with these lyrics. And he said, well, Elton had something to do with it too. He's kind of laughed and was being modest. And I said, I know, but you put him up there. You put Elton and Bernie together, and he was very appreciative. And I'm glad that he's able to, at this point in his life, he's in his 70s, to appreciate his role in Elton's career and Elton gave him a shout out from the stage and, and acknowledged him. And that was very important to him. And so it was very special to be, to have met with and spent some time with someone so pivotal in Elton's career. Someone once again, who I had written, who had read about, uh, you know, 50, you know, 40 some years ago, it was just this, uh, this name or this picture. And here he was in front of me, and we're conversing and we're talking and we're we're connecting and it was a, a very special moment. And then for him to be at this concert and watching Elton, knowing when he met this guy 50-some years ago in an office whose name was Reg Dwight, who was, like many others, just hopefuls of hoping for a career just like this. And the odds of it are ridiculously high, a billion-to-one shot, and yet it happened for Elton John and it happened and it happened for Elton John 
because of Ray Williams. And, and, and he was the guy that, that put him together with Bernie Taupin. So it was very cool to be at that concert and sitting with these two guys, Ray Williams and David Larkham, who played such uh, pivotal roles in Elton's career and who I had written about and had great respect for all my life. And now, at this point, got a chance to finally meet them and actually connect and spend time and converse with them. So it was very, very special. So then we go the next night, and Elton gave a great performance, and he was very sentimental and nostalgic about being back at Watford and at Vicarage Road performing. And then the next night, um, little did I know, once again, again, the emotions running high. Now this is the final show he will play at Vicarage Road, at least as part of this tour. And who knows, right? You never know what the future may bring. And so the band, everybody was just elevated to a, a different level, and it was the last show of this leg of the tour, so everybody was just giving 120%. You could really feel the energy up from the stage, and it was a great show. And then much to my surprise, Elton was dedicating a goodbye, or Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, and he said, I'm going to dedicate this song to several of my friends here tonight. And he read off all these names, and he read off my name too. He mentioned my name, and I was just in shock. Once again, he's done this a few times over the last couple of years in his appreciation with this being the final tour of, of going, of, you know, recognizing me and knowing that I've been to all these shows. That was my 206th show, right? 205, 206. Yeah, this will be two. No, no, though that was a 20, no, 206 and 207. Yeah, so it was my 207th show. And uh, so I was blown away that he would say my name and dedicate that song to me again. He did it once before in um, Madison Square Garden in 2018, which was a thrill too. And then later in the show, he was thanking, as he was saying goodbye to the fans and thanking them for all his loyalty, he again mentioned me and he said, well, you know, all these fans have been to so many shows over the years. He said, I mean, he goes, Jim Toronto from Chicago has been to hundreds of shows. And I felt like, and I was screaming because I was up near the front of the stage. I said, well, 200 shows, not just 100. You mean to tell me I could have gone to only 100 shows and saved all that time and money and still gotten some recognition? No, no, 206. Or 207 at the time. <laughs> so to get two shout-outs during that show, knowing that Elton was uh, was acknowledging me to this crowd and making eye contact and pointing and, and saying thank you, that, you know, it, it made that 4,000-mile journey to go see him from Chicago to London that worth it, worthwhile, certainly. So those shows wound up being two very special, cool, unexpected surprises. I was going there just to have a great time at two what I expect to be great shows, and they wound up to be two nights that were different and special in their own way, and both shows became now lifetime memories for me of meeting and talking with and spending some time with Ray Williams and David Larkham at an Elton John concert on July 3rd, and then once again being acknowledged by Elton in a crowd in, in, in his favorite place, one of his favorite places. And that's what's been important to me too, that he's dedicated to songs to me in his two favorite places to play, Madison Square Garden and now Vicarage Road. Um, so to be 
a part of his memories of those special times. And they're a part of my memories. So when we share that memory together, uh, it's very special. Elton John and his music have been a, a major, major part of my life since I was nine years old. And, um, and it, it, it remains. And I've put in a lot of effort and it's been very special and, uh, and touching and memorable for him to acknowledge um, what I've done, uh, the, my loyalty to him. And, and that, his acknowledgement is, is, is his way of sending his loyalty back to me. And so it's been very special, very unique, and certainly they are lifetime memories. And uh, I will always be grateful and thankful and never take that for granted, for sure. So those were my special moments that I thought I would share with you. Uh, my home movies. I know home movies have a, a, bad, a bad reputation, but hopefully that my little sharing of my verbal home movies brought you a little interest and maybe a little excitement and maybe you were able to share some of the excitement that I had because they were cool memories for me and hopefully they were cool stories for you. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to send your friends, send your family, send anybody you know who listens to a podcast a message and let them know that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 322. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.